I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Good afternoon, Jeff Dawson from, believe it or not, it is a sunny, little muggy Dallas, Texas, but it's been a hell of a lot better than it has for the last, geez, last 10 days. We've had more rain than you can shake a stick at, and we would gladly send it to any other state that is in dire need of it, because it's just the dams, the reservoirs are full. The lakes are up, and on that front, everything is good. Even West Texas is getting rain. That is a good thing. Okay, we've got quite a bit to go over. I'm really going to focus on Memorial Day and what's going on with the United States and the state of Israel. And, of course, some baseball. And... As usual, went to Dunstan's Friday evening. It was a small gathering, but that was okay. A lot of the family had headed on to their home states, and we wish Kent Gavel and his wife a rapid recovery to a surgery that he had last week. I had to actually look up to see what it was done, but... Uh, all reports are good. So we had Jerry, Patty, Wes, and Tabitha. And I'm sure Jerry and Patty are holding their breath because they shared a story last night that rivaled one that their friend Ken had shared about three months ago dealing with bagels in the prison system. And Jerry had one similar, but uh, I promise not to divulge it. I can kind of see the fear in uh, their eyes that, Jeff, don't you dare say anything about that on your show tomorrow. Okay, so I'll be nice, but I do want to thank them for uh, their contribution to to my work that allows me to keep doing these shows because this isn't sponsored. This comes out of my pocket. Every, every show that I do, they're running about $99 a week. Uh, well, $99 an episode, and this is my income right now. I've had enough of construction, and I'm concentrating on my writing, promoting, and broadcasting. It was time for a change. I've been in construction over 40 years, and also focus on motivational speaking to go talk to businesses that have tried all the management techniques that are out there and don't appear to be working. So I go back to the basics and that's usually what we wind up doing. If things you're doing aren't working, you've tried everything new. Well, let's go back to where you started and start over. And sometimes that's what you've got to do. I've been with a lot of companies where I've used that technique as a project manager and it works. I don't give a damn about all the frilly theories that come out of the, quote, top institutions in our country. 
I grew up with think out of the box. And I was like, what the hell type of box are you in? It made no sense. And then we had all the air quotes and every once in a while, you'll see some idiot do air quotes. It's like, you're just showing me how stupid you are. Really? Air quotes? No. And I actually remember sitting in one of these partnering meetings years ago because partnering was the new thing in construction. And I know it bled off into other businesses about, oh, well, you need to get to know who you're talking with and their personalities and all this garbage. And I had to pay for this damn thing. It was a bid item. And it was, God, I don't remember. I think my quote was like $3,500. That was the biggest waste of time. And what it, what it compromised of was those people involved in the job from the city of Dallas were supposed to be the ones there. I saw more people than I could shake a stick at, and I didn't even know who the hell they were. And I actually asked, who are all these people? Oh, they found out they were going to get a free lunch at a nice restaurant. That's what it came down to. Yeah, that really pissed me off. I'll tell you that right now. And after, I don't know, three hours or so of listening to this gal from the University of Nebraska who was working on her PhD, did her spiel. We had to do this personality test. And then she started reading off, well, if you're a type A personality, which I am, well, you don't like to read. I mean, she had this list of like, I don't know, 10 items. And when she said that, I was like, that's it. That's I've that's enough of this crap. And I brought my uh office manager, Vicky, Vicky with me. And she's like, Jeff, don't do it. And I said, No, that's enough. I've I've sat here long enough. I've been quiet, I've been good, I've been behaved, and now I'm done. And I raised my hand and I said, I don't know where you came up with your research, but uh, it's pretty pathetic. I have over two hundred World War II books in my library. Don't you stand up there and tell me I don't like to read. I, Joe, that just blew every gasket I had. And she was like, well, well, I said, there's no well about it. And on the other point, you know, we've been here and I'm looking at my watch three and a half hours and we haven't, you haven't addressed anything of importance. And I've been in meetings like, how many of you have been in a meeting like that? where nothing of importance was addressed. And you're like, why am I here? Well, that's exactly how I felt. I said, you know, the whole purpose of this is to somehow mend the fence with the city of Dallas and make the job go smoothly and get issues addressed. Isn't that your function here? And I said, she said, yes. I said, okay. And I'm looking at the folks from the city of Dallas. And I said, okay, I need to know just a couple of things. I want to know if my issues are going to be addressed in a timely manner and if I'm going to get paid on time. That's all I want to know. And she looked at the representatives from the city of Dallas. And you know what they said? Uh, we can't guarantee that. I said, okay, then we're done. You got it. We're done. We're out of here. This has been a waste of time. It's cost the taxpayers $3,500 because it is a city project, so it's bond money. And you just wasted $3,500. What did you accomplish? Nothing. And I am big on getting things done and handling issues 
and getting them resolved. This was a big waste of time. And I won't do that with your time or your money because I have things to do myself. We all have things to do. You hire me, I'm not going to break your bank. Not today, not tomorrow. Because price always seems to scare people, but I will charge you what it's worth and I will be reasonable. Just like when I bid jobs, I gave you a fair price to do that job. Now, if you're going to come up and tell me that someone else can do it cheaper, we'll sign them up. But you won't get the same product and you won't get the same job and you'll probably have to do it again. And I hated having to go back and redo any work. If we made a mistake, I remember we were up and doing a job at McKinney. It was a horrible day. It was hot. The wind was blowing. We are pouring on rock. And the superintendent called me up and he goes, we're losing the concrete. I said, and basically what that means is it was getting hot too fast. Hot concrete, you can't work with it. If it doesn't hydrate properly, it won't set properly. It won't gain its strength. And it'll just completely fall apart. And I've seen streets where that has happened. I drove up to the job. I looked at it, inspectors there. I looked at the superintendent. I said, tear it out. This is this is cul-de-sac. And these could take up to 120 yards of concrete, depending on the radius. And I just looked at Jose. It was horrible. There wasn't anything they could do. I said, all right. The saw guy had just shown up. I said, tear it out. Tear this whole section out. The inspector goes, what the hell are you doing? I said, I'm not going to try and sell this shit to you. That would be stupid. This is not the type of work we do. We had some extenuating circumstances, weather-wise, that we couldn't handle. The concrete's flashing on us, and it just won't be right. And that would probably amounted to, I don't know, 36 yards of concrete, which that wasn't cheap, so we're probably talking about a Total labor and all, eight to $10,000 redo. I didn't care. I had decent profit in the job, but also wanted to give the city of McKinney a good project, make the developer happy, and everybody moves on their way. And that's what happened. When I walked the job with the inspector, our punch list was probably four items, which is really unusual. That's just minimum is 12. We had four. And he looked at me and goes, the reason I did this is because of what you guys did when you removed that concrete without being told. And I said, well, we're not here to screw anybody. We're here to do our job. And that's part of our job. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I'm not trying to cheat anybody. And I'm not trying to get paid for something that wasn't done right. And it was just one of those freak occurrences. So we moved on and everybody was happy. And I did additional work for that developer had the same inspector, he didn't have to worry about it. Well, that's the same thing you get with my management seminar. I give you information you can use. I don't fill your head with a bunch of theories that nobody cares about. We just get to the facts and move forward and cut out all the fluff and the BS and the experimental theories coming out of Yale and Harvard and Princeton and all that. And that's what you get. Now, if you have any questions or comments during this show, you can call in at 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831.
and this comes to on my Patreon account, I'm going to start posting some of the management techniques that I used in the first series. It's going to be at least three parts, how not to fire employees. And I'm going to use three examples of how I was released from jobs. And I'm probably going to throw the fourth one in on what I did with a foreman in training that could have been handled a lot better, but I made a decision and I can look back and say, I should have done that different. And if anyone's a baseball fan, think of when Nolan Ryan let Michael Young go and you kind of understand the drift where I'm, where I'm going. Got to write a quick message here. Okay. So that's going to be on my Patreon account. And if you enjoy these episodes that I do, then if you want to access the archives I have with BBS Radio, it starts at $2.99 a month. And that's pretty affordable because you get a lot of information that you won't get through my show. A lot of it I post on my blog and website, LDBJEnterprises.com, and that also has all the books that I have for sale. That's a good thing. And there's plenty of uh, plenty of good books on there. I mean, the, the ones I'm really proud of are the True Love Story, that I wrote about my high school sweetheart, Debbie Beck, when we reunited. Uh, my science fiction, time travel, government conspiracy, sci-fi thriller, the Gateway, the Gateway series, which is three books, Gateway Pioch, Destination DC, and Target Berlin. That was fun to write. And then my World War II series of vampires taking on the Third Reich. Right now, there's three books in that series, and I hope to be starting on the fourth one, but I'm letting the characters get together. I'm, it's been two years since I released the last one, but the characters need to come together. They need to figure out where they're going. I know this much. We're going to wind up around Cursed, which... For those familiar with World War II history, in July of 1943, it was the largest tank battle ever. And it was massive, and did it decide the fate of World War II? Even if the Germans would have won, it would have been not exactly a fair victory, but it would have delayed the Russians a little bit. It wouldn't have stopped them, but it also could have allowed the Germans to transfer some of those units to Normandy. I mean, when the Germans realized they were losing this battle, we invaded Italy, and some of those divisions were sent south, 2nd SS Panzer Division, but they could have also been used at Normandy, and the Germans lost 
they lost like 150 armored vehicles, which when you look at the grand scheme, it's nothing. The only problem is they couldn't manufacture tanks as fast as the Russians or us or the Americans could because their tanks were technologically superior, but they were also a lot more intricate in detail. They weren't easy to work on. The bogey system on the Tiger was a nightmare. If you've ever seen pictures of it. And there was nothing easy about their weapons. I mean, we captured some of their artillery pieces and our guy said, we're not using them. Our, our artillery has 10 working parts. Theirs has 35. Which one are you going to use? Yeah, you make the call on that. Okay, and then we also have the GoFundMe account, motivational speaker and author for hire, which, as I said earlier, any donation helps. And yes, Dunstan's was fun last Friday, last evening. Enjoyed it. Got to watch the Rangers lose again. Again. This is getting ridiculous. So let's get into an update on the Rangers and the Tigers. Oh, good Lord. I'm, I'm on a Detroit Tiger site. And I actually got into it with a guy who I'm guessing he's a fantasy baseball expert and this, that, and the other. And he says Tigers are World Series bound. And I asked him what universe he was living in. And that really got his panties in a wad. To the point I just said, okay, I'm done. There, there's no point in talking to this guy. He is delusional. That's all there is to it. I'm a realist. Tigers aren't going anywhere this year. Kind of like the Rangers. This could have been such a good month. And it's been nothing short of a disaster. You sweep the Astros at home. You get on the road. And you forget how to hit the ball. Now, granted, the starting pitching has been, it's been okay. Lyle Gibson, Gibson. Dunning, Dunning has been really good. Then they've got Yang in the mix, Ali Hara's on the 10-day DL, Gibson's on the 10-day DL, so they brought Allard in. They actually pitched good last night. They lost 3-2. Three 3-2. To two. Three to two. Adolis Garcia is a beast. There's, there's no getting around that. But now he's starting to think and he's starting to listen to the press and that's a huge mistake and you can see it in his swings he's reaching for the stars he's reaching for the fence all you gotta do is hit the ball and put in play when you got men on base the point is putting the ball in play I mean he has been great up until the last three or four games and he would come up, and the game was on the line, and their men on base, and <clears throat> nothing. Just collapsed. Whiffed it. So a buddy and I 
Wes, and he was at Dunstan's last night, were discussing this on who is the Ranger hitting coach. And I had to look that up. Luis Ortiz. This is the hitting coach for the Texas Rangers. Four years in the majors. His average was 228, two home runs, and 26 RBIs in four years. This is the hitting coach of the Texas Rangers. What in the hell is going on? So where did Chris Woodward find Lewis Ortiz? Oh, they played together. They didn't play together, but they coached together with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So what? You hire a guy with a lifetime average of 228, two home runs, and 26 RBIs, and this guy has a hitting facility, I think it's up in Southlake. I'm not taking my kid there. I don't care if he says, well, I was in the majors. I'm going to look at his stats and go, what are you charging me an hour? You hit 228 with two home runs, 26 RBI. What the hell are you going to teach me? I mean, if you were hitting 275, had played eight years, had 100 home runs and two to 300 RBIs, okay. I'm in there. I'm signing up. But not 228. And what is sad is his batting average almost rivals the Texas Rangers batting average overall. They're hitting 236. No, they're hitting 235. The league average is 236, so they're hitting seven points better than he did his whole career. Gee, you think there might need to be a change in the hitting coach? And you watch it. And, yeah, I blame all of these analysts for this, too. Launch angle. That's all we've heard about for the last four years. Launch angle. Launch angle. Velocity off the bat. You know, and I've talked about this on the previous episode. All launch angle does is ball goes higher up in the air, lands 10 feet from the wall. It's just a long out. Which brings us up to Joey Gallo. It just broke on the wire yesterday. Wes told me about it this morning that the Yankees are interested in Gallo, who's making, he only has a one year contract with the Rangers. It will expire into this year, and he's making $6.2 million. Well, you didn't get jack shit for Odor. Nothing even though you had him at the starting lineup at the beginning of the season, and then you released him the next day, which I made no sense. And he got nothing in return, nothing. I don't know what you could have gotten, maybe some cash considerations. But other than that, so with Gallo, what do the Rangers need? Well, let's see. How about some starting pitching? We got enough catchers, and it's time for the Trevino-Heim experiment to end. Are you listening to me, John Daniels and Chris Davis? Trevino is the starter. That's it, and the statement, move on. 
for Nitwit and Raymond who keep talking about how defensively great Heim is. Not buying it. I've watched him play. Is he serviceable? Yes. Is he an everyday catcher? No. Should he be? No. We have Trevino. Stick with Trevino. If he needs a game off every once in a while, that's fine. But this every other day flip-flop is like flipping a pancake. It's just constant. Stop it. Because sooner or later you're going to burn the damn thing because you're not doing what needs to be done. Cook the thing and serve it. No, Rangers have to keep screwing around. I understand the third base issue between Holt and Culberson. No telling who is going to finally settle in that position, but right now neither one has really lit it up defensively. Offensively, they're okay, but defensively, no. So what do you do with Gallo? I want a starting pitcher. You think you're getting a premier batter, okay? I want a premier starting pitcher. And I've seen all the rumors and, well, this and that, because this is what happens in the rumor mill. We're not going to probably know until July. But uh, get something for him. Yes, he hits these majestically long home runs with a 225 average. How exciting. I expect my right fielder to do a hell of a lot more. Now, defensively, you can't take anything away from Joey. He's got great range. He has a rocket arm. But this average, you know, well, he hits home runs. Well, Lance Parrish hit home runs. He didn't get a ring. Joey, you can hit home runs and still be on the team, but that average needs to be up around 265. You're an outfielder. You're a power hitter. We need to see 265 to two. Actually, I'd like to see 270 out of that. 75 would be better, but I don't ever see him hitting 300. Because he's more interested in the launch angle. Yeah, you figure that one out. So... If the Rangers aren't careful, they got two more with Seattle today, tomorrow. And who do they finish this month up with? That's who they finish it with. They could actually no longer be on the bubble for the season being over. They could be added to this list. Because right now, you got... Three teams, they're done. Season's over. Orioles, Rockies, Diamondbacks. They're respectively 13 and a half, 14, 13 and a half, and 15 games out of first place. They're done. It's over. Now, the teams you've got on the bubble are the Tigers at 10, the Twins at 9.5, and, and the Rangers at 9. To me, once you hit 10 games, anything over 10 at the end of May, you're done. Morale on the team is not going to be at a premium. No way. Okay. 
I just want them to play better. And to think, two weeks ago, there were two games under 500. And it's, it's just imploding horribly. Now, last baseball note is, did any of you see that replay from the Pirates and is it the Cubs? Fiasco? You got a runner on. You got two outs. The batter puts the ball in play. The first baseman fields it. And all he's got to do is take two steps back and touch first base and the inning's over. And he doesn't do that. He chases the batter runner back to home plate. The runner winds up scoring. The catcher throws the ball to first, of which no one's covering. So that's a wild throw. Then they throw it the second. That's a wild throw. It was the biggest. It was the, it's not even a Bush League play. I don't know what what you would call it, but brain fart really does come to mind and definitely a Darwin Award for the first baseman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm sure he'll never live that down. It's kind of like the ball going between Buckner's legs or Nelson Cruz having his brain fart in game six of the World Series against the Cardinals in 2011. Only everybody could see this one. I mean, it was just, I've, I've never seen that in Little League, junior high, high school. It, it looked worse than a T-ball game. There you have it. That was it. Yeah, this is not, this is, I guess watching that play is a good indication of watching the Rangers. Pathetic. And the Tigers. Yeah, we see moments of brilliance and excitement. And then in the flash of a pan, it all disappears and everything falls apart. I don't know how you change that. I think the entire culture of the Ranger organization is in turmoil. I don't care what they say. In fact, uh, one thing Wes and I talked about was, well, they've got to be like the lowest in the lower five of salaries in the MLB. That's not true. The Rangers are 20th. Pirates, the Indians are last, and the Dodgers are first. And that's what the Dodgers are at 250 million. Let's see real quick here. Let's see. The Rangers are at 93. The Indians are 51 and the Dodgers are 256. 
So, you know, $90 million, you'd think you would be getting something other than mediocrity. Well, we can always hope for the future, but I, I really think that even though Daniels has been promoted to the president of the Rangers, that uh, the two oil men that own this team, they really need to wake up and realize they need different direction because this is not working. And they've got a good core, but I can see them squandering this core away. Okay. Book reviews. There's two of them. Raquella by Ruth Garber and My Mother's Ring by Dana Cornell. These are World War II stories about the concentration camps and just how bad it was and how they survived and their relatives survived afterwards. And we've seen in the news all this outpouring of sympathy for Palestine. Well, I'm 61, and I remember the PLO and Yasser Arafat and the worldwide terrorism that they had going on. They were just like Cuba. They were big on hijackings. I mean, it was worse than what was going on with the IRA in England. This was bad, but these books, I mean, they both, I gave them both five-star reviews because Raquel talks about what it was like for the Jews after 1948 in the formation of the state of Israel to go there. Well, Jesse Waters from Fox made this ridiculous comment this week that Britain formed the state of Israel. Oh, you know, why don't you just go write another book along with the rest of your dumbass anchors on that channel? Because that's all they seem to be good at, every one of them. It's like they're releasing a book every other month. And I don't care about that. Do you have any real news today? Because we're not getting it from anybody else. And you guys are supposed to be, quote, the best. Your ratings say you are. Well, then give me some news and get rid of the bullshit. But when he said that, it's like I was screaming at the TV. Are you just stupid or ignorant? Because I think you're both. The UN formed the state of Israel, not Great Britain. And Great Britain did everything to keep the DPs or displaced persons from Europe, especially the Jews, coming to Israel and Palestine. They put up every roadblock in the world they could. Hell, they put the Jews in camps. Did you know that? And that's what Ruth talks about in this book. These people, if, if you watch the revisionist history idiots, they're like, oh, well, they were, they were brought in with open arms. They were not. The British had their military on the beaches like we used to before Biden on our southern border, keeping illegals out. Only difference is 
The Jews weren't illegals. The UN approved this, and the British were keeping them out. They made it extremely difficult for the Jews to get into Israel. And for Jesse Waters to make such an ignorant comment, it's like, who is checking these stories? Producers, pull your heads out. Let's get the history right, idiots. I just don't understand. I don't understand. But Raquel is a brilliant book. And it, I mean, driving through the Arabic parts of Israel and Palestine was a like going down to South Dallas or no, Chicago. It'd be like going to Chicago on the east side at night. Put your hand, put your life in your hands. It's ridiculous. But it's a really good book. It will give you a better insight into what's going on. Now, I actually worked with an engineer years ago. Abdul, what did I call him? Muffin. That was my nickname for him. But I developed a really good relationship with him. Mufid Abdukwalder. That was his name. He was a he was one of the best engineers I worked with at the city of Dallas after they'd already had their big changeover, and which wasn't good. But he actually wanted to get jobs done. He enjoyed what he did. We went to the same university, Oklahoma State. But we talked a little bit about this. And being a Palestine, he had his own opinion about it, and he wasn't happy. I don't know if these people will ever figure out what's what to do over there. I, I don't see it happening. But I'll I'll get into that later. But, but this book is really, really good. I mean, let's see. One line from my review, the restrictions on DPs from Germany were just as appalling. Many of the people were survivors of the concentration camps, and instead of breathing the air of freedom, they were placed in camps in Palestine and Cyprus, that were replicas of the death camps they had endured. That's what the British did. Read the book. You'll enjoy it. The other one, My Mother's Ring. And I start this review out with, over the years I've read many books on World War II and the Holocaust, but I have not read one as captivating as this. And for me to write that, is a good indication that this was a solid work. No opinions, just solid. And I've read plenty of history books that were opinionated. Nobody really cared. Uh, and it just goes through a life of camps from Auschwitz-Birkenau to Malthausen which none of these places were good. None of them. But this person was able to save a gold wedding band from his mother. And I concluded on this review, what I would like to end with is this. In the United States, there has been, to say the least, turmoil in the last four presidential elections. The term Nazi has been thrown around by both sides like people giving out candy during Halloween. 
this madness must stop. We aren't a perfect nation, but no party is passing legislation that will strip people of their basic rights, take away their possessions, be forced into ghettos, surrender their homes, be rounded up and tattooed, and then worked to death and discarded like an empty box. If they had a simple understanding of history, they would all shut their mouths and instead of believing everything on social media, they would instead start reading books on the topic. And I, like I said, I, you can tell by the end, of, I was pretty infuriated because I've seen this. You know, we saw it when Trump was running. We, we actually, we saw it, it. It really creeped up during Obama. And the communists take over and this, that, and the other. And if my conservative friends were posting it, I deleted it. If liberal friends were countering, I deleted it because none of them were posting anything of substance and intelligence. None of them. And, and like I said, the, the term Nazi has just become like a household name. And, uh, of course, the left blew it out of proportion with Trump. Remember all the stories about, well, he's got a copy of Mein Kampf sitting by his table. How do you know by his bedside? Do you know that? Have you seen it? Have you even read Mein Kampf? Donald Trump is not going to read Mein Kampf because it just makes no sense. It's a horrible book as far as books go. It's horrible. I tried to. I, I, I need to try it again, but, uh, I mean, it is the rantings of a lunatic. Pure and simple, the rantings of a lunatic. Okay. So if you're interested in two good books on the Holocaust and World War II and the formation of the state of Israel, you will enjoy those. It is Memorial Day weekend in the United States. Not sure how long we'll be able to use that term United States, but as of today, we are still united as a country. In what better way to honor them than to read a couple of poems? This first one was a dedication to Wallace Russell. He was a good friend of uh, some folks I know. He passed on May 12, 2013. Wally served on the Yorktown classification C5 CV5 on the poem I put down CV10 because he served on not only CV5 which is the one that went down at the Battle of Midway but the second one that they built and Wally was one of those guys that you always heard about how humble they were and generous and kind and came from the greatest generation, kind of like Patty's dad. That was Wally. I didn't get to talk to him many times. 
But in the times we did, I cherished them and made mental notes. And he really didn't get into the battle aspects of what they went through. But like many of the veterans, they would share the fun stories. And I asked him, so what was it like birthing in that ship? And he goes, well, son, it was like a boiler. You know what the tropics are like. And if you don't, just think of Texas weather. It's hot and it's humid and we are in a big steel box. So the temperature below decks was always in the 90s. You just learn to sleep in your sweat. And remember, we shared bunks. Each of us didn't have an individual bunk. We had rotating shifts, so we're all sleeping in everybody else's sweat. And I found a place, and I believe he said it was on the starboard side, where he could get some decent sleep because it was cool. Now, the downside was, he said, you know, the ships weren't built for personal safety. Combat safety, yes, but not personal safety. And the place I found was by a gun turret. There was a railing, so when we were running to battle stations, you could grab that railing, but there wasn't anything below that. But that's where I decided to sleep. And if we were ever attacked by planes or submarines at night and the ship took a hard turn to port, they'd have never found me. But you know, son, it was worth the risk because you just had to get cool sooner or later. And it was extremely difficult. But this is my tribute to him. Her steel decks glistened in the Virginia sunlight. The call to arms was a distant sound. She patrolled the Atlantic, dodging U-boats and planes. She moved through the canal, scraping paint and steel. The mighty Pacific would be her home. December 7th, she rested no more. Wally answered the call like many of his day. They boarded the stacks, prepared. They boarded the decks, prepared to fight the Japs. The captain said, American Samoa. America, what? Where? When? And then the Gilberts and Marshalls. Gilbert, Sullivan, Glenn, Miller. Guys, sounds like a grand time. The klaxon sounds disrupting the boredom. Manned battle stations, enemy aircraft approaching. We ask no questions. We answer the call. All hands to battle stations. This is not a drill. The smoke cleared. The danger passed. We breathe a sigh of relief. Back to Pearl for replenishment. Men, next stop, Coral Sea. Coral what? Where? Why? All hands to battle stations. She dances on the calm sea, avoiding the white tails of death. We fire fast and furious. One by one, the planes fall. Be careful of the boys flying cap. We aim straighter and tighter. Splash one, splash two, splash thunder and smoke. Drown our voices. Damage control to lower decks. 60 dead. Scores wounded. A dreadful baptism of fire. The day was ours, but the cost... Back to Pearl, replacements, supplies, repairs, and a needed leave. All hands back on board. Midway is in peril. We know the score. We know the cost. 
We know we must fight. The air fills with tension. They're coming. We're ready. Despite our efforts, the battle is shifting. Scratch three Jap flat tops. The victory is short-lived. She takes one in the stack. The smell, the carnage of diesel, burnt flesh, and death permeate our grand lady. Boilers down, flight deck smashed, fragments of comrades stuck on bulkheads, planes smoldering, ammunition exploding. Chaos should reign, but calm and resolve fill us. We will go down fighting. The end is near. The day is won, but the loss is high. She was my home. She was my piece of the war. As the sun fades, the mighty lady succumbs to the sea. I salute her one final time. Closing my eyes for the final salute, I join the minds of my comrades, submitting my soul to God. And you can find that poem and other ones in my book, Spectrum of Life. But I wrote that when news arrived that Wally had passed. I was, I was very sad. He was a really good man. But I was pleased with the opportunity I had to meet with him. And it reminded me, I never got this guy's name, but I went back to Tulsa. God, this was probably 30 years ago or so to Oktoberfest. And I forgot what hotel we were staying at, but it was down on the river Riverside, I think 71st. And I got up Sunday morning, was walking around the uh, conference rooms and I saw these pictures of aircraft carriers kind of peeked around and looked in there wasn't anybody there that I could see so I just walked in and was looking at all the pictures Yorktown if I'm not mistaken was one of them and it's like these guys had a reunion or a World War II conference well this is pretty cool and this gentleman came up and he goes, may I help you? I said, I'm just here to look. I'm not trying to mess with anything. He goes, I understand. He goes, are you interested in what we went through? And I said, very much so. Once again, I'm kicking myself because I didn't get the veteran's name. But all three carriers that he served on were sunk. And I think he was on Lexington, Yorktown, and I think well, Franklin didn't sink. I don't think he was on Hornet, but all three of the carriers he was on, he wound up in the water. And like Wally, he didn't talk about the bad stuff. He talked about the camaraderie and the mission that they were there to perform and they knew they had to win no matter what the cost. And, and I, I salute him. I know that might be trivial, but 
I really enjoyed chatting with him because he would, as long as he knew I was listening, and this is what you will find with veterans, as long as they know you're listening and attempting to understand, they will share their stories. But if you try and interrupt and start discussing minutia, which I see on a lot of posts and different forums, they just clam up because you aren't there to listen. You're there to try and teach them about what they went through. And how do you feel when someone tries to do that to you? You pretty well block them out, right? Yes. Don't tell me about something that I was doing that you got out of a book that disputes what I'm telling you and thinking you know more than I do. Son, I was there. I know what it was like. So there's nothing you can tell me that I don't already know. And I would have loved to have talked to some of these divers that I talked about in the last episode at Pearl Harbor and the horrors they went through working in the dark. That was a brilliant book. And I also mentioned that you can find that on YouTube. Just brilliant. Well, that was my salute to Wally. I really liked him. Now the next one, when did I write this? 2011? I think so. Yeah. Now I posted these in my blog at ldpjenterprises.com. So if you'd like to read them for yourselves, you're more than welcome. They're there. Don't charge for that. Because things like this need to be shared so we can all remember the sacrifice that the men and women have made to keep our country great. And on that note, I will add in, when I was watching the movie We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson, there's this scene where they're showing the women getting the Western Union telegrams that their husband has been killed. And I got to thinking, there just isn't much written honoring women that served not only on the front line, but at home. Because the gals at home had a different battle of keeping a household going. And what of those wives who lost their husbands and they had children or they were pregnant. They bought a house before the soldier shipped off. I mean, they had to juggle the finances. They had to juggle the family. Can you imagine getting that notification that your husband is dead and you have two to three children in the house and the oldest is four and you have a car payment. If you had a car, you've got a mortgage payment or you've got rent for an apartment. I mean, yes, they had life insurance policies, but that was, you know, that would last a while, but eventually you have to do something. 
And that book is it's a book of poetry, and it's entitled Women of War. I highly recommend it. Because honoring the women who served, to me, has been long overdue. If you disagree, well, then I doubt we can be friends. That's all there is. Okay, this next one is entitled Salute. And this is my commemoration of an old veteran on Memorial Day. It's also very appropriate for Veterans Day. Salute. The streets are lined again. The crowd bustles about. A few stores are open for patrons. Children pull at their parents' pants. He takes it all in with grim determination. The past enough far behind. The assembly area is full of activity. Organizers scurry about with a purpose. For some, it is their first. For him, it is a lifetime of honor. The clock approaches 10 a.m. The crowd becomes restless as children squirm. Some stand by the curb for a good view. Others are hoisted to shoulders. Some sit on lawn chairs wondering why they came. His eyes never waver from the street. A gunshot is heard. It marks the beginning of the festivities. The shot makes him shudder. He thinks back of youth lost. He remembers the deep snow, the hot tropics, the smell of cordite. He forces a tear back. A cadence booms far away. Is it the sound of gunfire or is it a lost memory? His eyes strain to see the coming spectacle. One by one, the lead cars slowly pass by. He politely waves with acknowledging eyes. The children jostle for the bits of candy tossed. Moms and dad tossle with the little ones. He pays them no mind, for they are only children. What do they know of the cost? His hands gently move over his brass buttons, making sure no wrinkles show. His medal's all highly polished. The eagle shines brightly from his cover. Again, he fights a tear. He knows why he came. He knows the pain and the cost. He was there. He held men in pain. He saw lives extinguished in a blink. He fights back the memories, the cries of help, the cries of sorrow, the sounds of battle. The memories are a heavy weight. A toddler accidentally bumps into a wheel. The chair wobbles just a bit. He places a kind smile to the top. The child retreats to his parents. There, there they are. The sight of the banners fills him with pride. He knows what it still stands for. He knows the price of letting it blow. The closer they approach, the past creeps in with each perfect step. St. Mary Glees, Khan, Filet, and Bastogne. Was it only yesterday Joe fell, or was it Billy? It matters not, for many followed them. It's Saigon, Quezon, Huey, and Tet. He remembers the letters to parents of those who fell, but never met. Tarawa, Tinian, Peleliu, Iwo Jima, and Okinawa. He wears the pains of many with the medals. They performed when called. They shirked nothing, yet sacrificed all. The memories almost overwhelm him with pride and grief. A weathered hand gently pats his right hand. Sammy, are you ready? The voice is strong, yet comforting. Yes, Martha. 
They're closer now. He pushes the locks on the chair, braces his hands, and prepares to rise. To pay tribute for those before and to come. A tear slides down his weathered face. A young voice is barely audible as the banner becomes brighter and closer. Look, Mommy, that man is crying. Why? Her face turns a light scarlet. They are 10 meters in closing. He summons the strength to stand. He struggles to rise. He must rise. He must pay tribute. They are all his brothers. He can no longer raise a rifle for safety. He can only stand in honor for those fallen. The effort becomes more difficult each passing year. His strength fails when he needs it most. He curses softly as his body fails. They're only five meters away. He must rise and stand. Two young, strong hands appear from the crowd. Without a word, they lift him up, ever standing vigil for balance. He looks neither left or right, but straight into the past. The colors of the armed forces are now two meters away. He straightens a crooked back, adjusts his cover, and with the forgotten strength of youth, raises his right hand and salutes the colors. The young men stop and return the salute. The crowd stares in odd silence, for the commander has stopped the parade. They stand as straight as a pillar, neither looking left or right. The commander barks in order. The men take one step forward and lower the collars. They stand one meter from the old soldier. The parade is stopped. Organizers frantically run about. The cause is unknown. Then they see it. It wasn't in the program. They feel something in the air. Is it electricity or something more? The commander marks another order. The group returns a solid salute. They salute the man and what he wears, a small blue ribbon attached to a five-point medal. The young commander approaches his brother. The street is hushed in silence as the words flow. Thank you from a very grateful nation, General. He fights back the tears and the memory. He fights for balance, yet the strong hands assist his weakened, aged limbs. No, comes a choked response. Thank you for remembering us. The tears pour freely. The emotions of fallen comrades erupt as he weeps, never wavering with his salute. For an instant, life has become an eternity. Like a giant force, the crowd faces the men, and without any prompting or fanfare, apply and return the salute to the men. The general slides back into the chair. The squad returns to the street, each deep in thought as their tears also fall. Without a word, they proceed forward. The parade resumes, but with a new force. A force of arms, a force of purpose, a force displaying pride and freedom. It is Memorial Day for the Fallen. Martha, till next year. I really like that one. and I apologize that I got a little 
choked up reading that, but that's what Memorial Day weekend is about. It's not about barbecues. It's not about sales at stores. It's about remembering those <clears throat> that paid the ultimate price for this country to remain free. That's what it's about. And for those of you in the uh, Dallas area, if you've never seen the uh, Vietnam War Memorial in DC, you don't have to travel to DC. You can go down to Kaufman, Texas at their Veterans Park and see a replica of the wall. And it is just as impactful in Kaufman, Texas, as it is in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. I remember it's been at least 10 years that they were having one. The They call it the Rolling Monument that was traveling across the United States. And I believe that's one that went up in Kaufman. <clears throat> and it was going to be in Richardson, and I had my oldest son with me. And I might have had both of them. I know I had one of my sons. And I said, I'd like to go see this. Would you like to go? Well, they weren't the history fanatics that I am, but they said, sure. They were impacted just as I was. It's not a place that you go and you talk and you tell jokes and you laugh. It's, it's a place where you go to honor those men and women that gave all, even at a time when our country wasn't supporting the military we still support their service and we honor their death. Many of them didn't want to go. Many of them were drafted. Some signed up. But no matter how they got there, they got there. And then they paid the ultimate price. protect our freedoms and I don't give a damn what liberal historians have to say about Vietnam and everything else they went and fought they did the same thing in Korea World War II World War I the Spanish-American War, the Civil War, the War of 1812, the Revolutionary War, 
Desert Storm, Iraqi Freedom. They all answered the call. And it's time for America to do the same thing, is to answer the call. And sadly, I don't see that today. And that's what this next article, United States versus the State of Israel, goes into. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's, what is it, four pages long? Two, three. Oh, hell, it's longer than that. No, it's four. But I do have the whole thing posted on my blog or on my Facebook page. But on September 11th, 2021, it will mark 20 years of America being attacked by Al-Qaeda. With the downing of the World Trade Towers, the attack on the Pentagon, and the crashed jetliner in Shanksville. We were a divided country <clears throat> in 2000. We saw that with the presidential election of Junior versus Gore. And we were starting to see a real shift in media against conservatives. And as Rush Limbaugh always called it, the drive-by media. I don't know, but I don't see him driving. I just see him careening off into the abyss. But 20 years ago, we thought it couldn't happen. We didn't think Americans could unite. We didn't think Congress could unite. And for those of us that witnessed that, we actually saw the members of the House come together, Democrat, Republican, and Independent, and they either sang America the Beautiful or the Star Spangled Banner, and they held hands in solidarity. Now, did it last? Well, they're politicians. Of course, it didn't last. But they showed it could be done. And then the wind shifted. And George Jr., couldn't get a leg up with the media. He didn't do anything right, according to them. And then we got eight years of Obama, and then it really went to hell. He did not look out for the best interests of the United States. I don't care what you say. If you supported him, then I know you and I won't be drinking coffee. Nothing. 
Oh, yeah, people will say, well, he got bin Laden. Well, that was one of Junior's biggest foopaws. Because he thought the Pakistani alliance with Pakistan would actually hold up and they would honor their agreement and seal off the northern border, of which they did not. I've read the book, Kill Bin Laden. They had him. But Pakistan wouldn't let us send troops in there, and George didn't tell them we're sending troops in there. He just didn't say, well, I'm sorry. They attacked us. You're supposedly an ally. We're putting troops on the border, and we're catching some bitch. No, one of many juniors blunders, but that was a big one. And then with the advent of Donald Trump, what a pathetic media feeding frenzy it was for four years. I don't see Congress holding hands together anytime soon and singing America the Beautiful, the Star Spangled Banner. Which brings us to the current United States versus the state of Israel. Biden's already pulled support from Yemen in their civil war. They're fighting a terrorist group supported by Iran. Biden said no more. No more aid. No more weapons. What a dumbass. If Yemen falls and Iran takes it over, the United Arab Emirates can fall, and they can also take the southern part of Saudi Arabia and seal off the Suez Canal. They won't be sealing the canal itself, but the waterways going in, they'll mine the hell out of to where our warships won't be able to use it. So they'll have to go all the way around southern tip of Africa if they're deployed in the Mediterranean. And Joe says, I support Israel, the ability to defend itself. They don't need your approval. What makes you think they need your approval? They don't. But now you're going to send $235 million of aid to Palestine so they can, quote, rebuild the housing that was destroyed? Well, go back to the last time this happened. There are articles on it. And that's not what the money went for. You idiot. Oh, I'm sure they're going to tell you, well, that we're just going to use it to rebuild housing, but none of it's going to go to military installations and weapons, yet they are the most well-funded organization from in the world. They've got more hard currency than the United States has. They're not in debt like the United States. I'm talking about Palestine. You know, 
imagine Joe being the president during World War II, and I can see him saying, oh, well, I think we need to give Germany and Japan some money to rebuild those cities, and I'm sure they'll just use that money for the housing that we're bombing into Boliv into oblivion, trying to bring down these evil empires. Now, granted, we did that with the Marshall Plan, but my point is he would do it during the middle of the war. He would have been a perfect Neville Chamberlain. We know how that worked out. We have peace in our time. Yeah, how much peace did we have after the Munich Accord was signed? None. And it's appalling to even think that many in the British government were still trying to appease Hitler after he broke every treaty he had, took over Czechoslovakia, took over Poland, took over Denmark, the Scandinavian, you know, Norway, gets Finland as an ally, invades the lowlands, and then breaks into France, and they think he's going to honor a peace treaty? What a bunch of dumb shits. And Joe's right up there with them. It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. But So Joe is wavering on our support to Israel. And now we have people in Congress, Cortez, Tlaib, Omar, Bernie Sanders, standing up for Palestine and wanting to attempt to block funding to Israel. Bernie would have made a great capo. And if you don't know what a capo is, they were the Jews that were put in charge of overseeing all the other prisoners. They were the foremen. They were the guards. They weren't armed per se, but they were the ones that forced the Jews to go to work. They beat them. They condemned them. They shoveled them in the ovens. They herded them into the gas chambers because many of them, you know, if you, if you see the movie Escape from Sobibor, they, okay, you didn't have a choice. Let, let's be honest about that. If you wouldn't have taken that position, then you would have met the same fate. Well, you're going to meet the same fate no matter what happened. But at least you were getting preferential treatment. You were getting decent clothes. You weren't completely covered in lice. You didn't have typhus. You were getting good food. But you were, because you were doing the bidding of your oppressors. But there were those that did it zealously and loved it. They didn't care because they believed. The Germans were their friends, as Chamberlain believed he had peace with Hitler. And we know how that turned out. Bernie had been a great capo. I mean, think about it. The man gets married. He can go anywhere he wants to on his honeymoon. And where does he choose to go? Moscow. 
back when it was the USSR. Shimmer's just as bad. So, how has this happened in less than 20 years where we were united as a country and we have people now speaking out against our allies and their right to defend themselves? How could this happen? Well, let's do a history lesson because people have always said, well, how did Hitler come to power? He started passing policies that were all against the Jews. They got laws and they constantly talked about how bad the Jewish population was and how they had stolen from everyone. And they were the direct result of Germany losing the great war and slowly but surely it just wasn't the children because it wasn't just the children. It was the parents who started believing this. Well, Ludendorff and Wilhelm weren't Jews. They were the ones responsible for the Great War, and they're the ones that lost it. But Hitler got them to believe different. And he did it through the media. And they did it through books. And they did it through education in the school systems. That's how it happened. Now, yes, not everyone supported the National Socialist Party, but a large percentage did. And those in the SS were fanatic about it. They took a oath, as every soldier did, to not just Germany, but to Adolf Hitler. But those in the SS were ardent Nazis. They believed in the white Aryan supremacy and that they were to be the rulers of the world. The Wehrmacht, I'm sure there was probably, let's just say 50% believed in that. Others just didn't have a choice. You're going to serve. You got called up, you're going to serve. That's it. But they did it through the media. Does that sound familiar? Look at our media today. We aren't getting good stories. We're getting bad shows. I mean, if I had to rate them on a sitcom uh, gauge, they'd all get an F. Yeah, that goes for Fox 2. As I said earlier, all they do is every other month, someone's got a book coming out, which I don't give two shits about. And I'm here to tell you, won't be buying. I have better things to do with my money. And that's not it. But where's the news? And I try and cover some of that. If I can get some more donations on the GoFundMe, on the Patreon account, I can do this show more than bi-weekly. I would like to do it more than bi-weekly, but the funds just aren't there to do that right now because I will break, break down the news 
as easily and as succinctly as possible as I do in my management book, Do Your Damn Job. I blow away the fluff, and yeah, I will argue with my conservative friends just because I don't have to agree with everything they say, and they don't have to agree with everything I say, but what we do is we look at both sides. We try and get both sides of the argument out there and think about it calmly, strategically, and analytically. I'm not into the shows, especially when I see how much money these people are making. The cheapest one on a Fox anchor is $2 million, and the top, which is Hannity, is $10 million. And then you look at Cuomo and Maddow and the rest of the clowns. I mean, Ringling Brothers couldn't have put this many people in a three-ring circus. He'd have needed nine rings. And he'd probably made, probably still be in business today. It's just a shit show. But, okay. So, you know... On a quick history note, on the Holocaust, there were stories coming out. Sorbivor, they broke out, and I believe it was 43. Stories were coming out of the ghettos. They were going, Russia was getting reports. Great Britain was getting reports. The United States was getting reports. And everyone just, they were stunned. There's no way this is going on. That This can't be true. And it was, and it was really brought to light on January 27, 1945, when the Russians liberated Auschwitz. And then they informed Churchill and Roosevelt about it, and they just kind of boo-hooed it. You know, it's Russian propaganda. They're just trying to justify the slaughtering that they're doing of the Germans and wiping them out to the last man. And they just kind of ignored it. They didn't take it serious until we found Buchenwald, Bergen-Belsen, Dachau. Then the full weight of what Germany had been doing hit us up the side of the head. And now we believed it. But up until then, we didn't. I'm not saying this could happen again, but in the current climate, We've seen all the ads on TV. We've seen Congress pass legislation against hate crimes against Asians. Because what was the last count? There have been 3,500 attacks, I think, a month ago on Asian Americans. And stop the hate and stop the violence. You actually see it with the NBA. Well, I haven't seen a damn thing about it on the Jews. And they're being attacked. Why? Why didn't Joe, in all his, quote, brilliance, pull in those 
bobbleheads and berate them for going after one of our allies. You know that would have made the news because Cortez would have come out crying the blues. Omar would have said that Joe wasn't being sympathetic. God knows what Bernie would say, and I really don't give two shifts what that old man has to say. And Tlaib is like, you guys can't be doing that out in public. You cannot say that shit. Did he do that? No. That's how it starts. Plenty of platitudes coming out of the White House that are meaningless and weightless and usually pointless. You can disagree with that all you want to. I don't really get a damn because that's what's going on. But this is how it starts. That's what Hitler did. Propaganda. Media. And they got into the schools. And that was one of the biggest challenges that the Allies had was how do you re-educate these kids that have been brainwashed in this ideology. Well, it really wasn't too hard in some senses because all they had to do was look around at their cities and see there was nothing left of them. Their parents were dead. And they came to grips with it. Whereas in the United States, what did we hear after Biden was elected? And you saw it on Bill Maurer with Katie Couric and all these other little liberal bobbleheads that we on the right need to be re-educated. Well, that's what Hitler did. That ain't going to happen. And that's why we, you study history to make sure the mistakes aren't made again. Israel has every right to defend herself. And every time she's been attacked, those who did it paid a terrible price. Imagine if the UN wouldn't have stepped in in the Six-Day War. You'd see the Star of David over Cairo, over Beirut, and possibly Damascus. But the UN stepped in. And the only, all the gains that the Israelis made in the Sinai up to the Nile, they had to give up. They tried, the, the UN tried to tell them to give up the Golan Heights, and they said that ain't happening because that is the gateway to the plains. And we're not going to fight another terrible battle. And it was a brutal battle at the Golan Heights. The Israel suffered terrible casualties at the hands of the Syrian Air Force and Army and armored divisions. But they held. And once Egypt was defeated, they turned their attention and broke the back of the Syrian army and took the Golan Heights, secured it, and said, that's ours. But I've seen people over the last decade 
from the left, bitch and moan. Well, they should give that back. No, they should not, because this is like our Memorial Day. They fought and bled and died for that ground, and they're not giving it up. They were attacked, and they're going to hold it. Because militarily, it is very strategic that they hang on to the Golan Heights. So, I don't know where we're at, where we're headed. You know, what my, my I guess the last thing I really want to look at is, as we know, Trump was an ardent supporter of Israel. He was all in, moved our embassy to Jerusalem. And vilified for doing it, even though four presidents before him said they were going to do it. I guess the media just thought, well, that's just good press and it makes everybody feel good. But they'll never do that. Trump doesn't. They all lose their minds. You know, Donald Trump. Yeah, personality-wise, he had a lot of faults. I've never said otherwise. I've always said I'd never drink a cup of coffee with the man because I just don't like the son of a bitch as a person. But as a president, I really liked him. And I looked at him when I was watching the movie Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill. And Trump and Churchill had a lot in common. Europe is falling. Churchill's become the prime minister. And yet, people in his own party, and definitely the Labor Party, they didn't like Winston. Winston scared the hell out of him because he was not going to give in. He had a very strong stance about Hitler, that paper-hanging son-of-a-bitch house painter. He didn't like him. He recognized the danger. He had noted, He had told the House of Commons of the danger when they cut the uh, Rolls-Royce engine deal with Germany. He told them, you idiots, we're going to be fighting against our own equipment sooner or later, and you're going to sell them our engines. Yeah, we'll be fighting them. And Churchill went and talked to the people at the behest of the king. And the people told him, no surrender. And that was a big gamble for Churchill when he addressed the House of Commons. Because he knew that they were just itching to get him thrown out and appease Hitler thinking they'd get favorable terms. Hell, that's why Hess flew over there. Because he knew there was a sympathetic group of, there was Nazi sympathizers in high political positions that might be able to sway them to join up and no blood will be shed. But luckily Winston stood his ground and he was able to rally his people and stand up when all looked lost. And, you know, people, 
today are saying all is lost in America. Man, no, it's not. Winston Churchill was faced with all is lost. If we don't get our troops out of Dunkirk, what are we going to fight with? They had no idea. 300,000 British, the entire expeditionary force could be wiped out. They lost all their equipment. But thanks to the little boats, they, along with 100,000 French, were able, were ferried out. They were evacuated to fight another day. If Churchill would have listened to the politicians, there wouldn't have been another day. The swastika would have been over London and Buckingham Palace and Windsor. There wouldn't have been a D-Day because there'd been no place to stage. Imagine how big the U-boat menace, menace would have become without that. We'd have never invaded North Africa. That transatlantic invasion force with support from Britain because there wouldn't have been a Britain. And that's what Trump went up against a lot. He was an island. He was hated by the left. Many on the right despised him. And we're still seeing it to this day. And it's, it's appalling. So, you know, when Trump was our president, he must have felt like Winston Churchill. All is not lost, but by God, we are going to have to fight to survive. We aren't going to roll over. And that's what Israel is doing. They are fighting for survival. They aren't going to roll over. And, and the last thing, a little comparison I want to make here is you know, I look at the leaders of World War II, especially Churchill and FDR. How do you think the media would portray them today? We heard what they said about Donald. I forgot which was a Barbara Walters or somebody said that he was grossly obese and he didn't look healthy. My God, you know, we heard all that shit when he was elected in 16 that he was mentally unstable and all this other. Well, let's look at Churchill and Roosevelt and how the media would portray them today. Obese, drunken, cigar-smoking, egomaniac with visions of grandeur, and the old womanizing, cigarette-smoking man in a wheelchair. That pretty well sums it up right there. That's how they'd look at them today. And would keep hammering on that. And it wouldn't matter how many battles they won. Victories they racked up. They would just vilify the hell out of them. And we saw them do that. With Trump. I stand with Israel 100%. To exist. Not just to defend but to exist. 
and they are one of the few bastions of freedom and democracy we have in the Middle East. Yes, we have a tentative agreement and alliance with Saudi Arabia. Other than that, Egypt to a degree. But when it comes down to the state of Israel, those countries would love to see them disappear. And then, if you listen to the media, the liberal crap, then there would be peace in the Middle East. Oh, yeah. Iran and Iraq are going to start getting along again. I don't think so. And then Syria is going to get along with Iraq. And Egypt is going to get along with all of that. No, they're not. Hell, for those of us old enough, we remember the 10 years war between Iran and Iraq. I think it was over a million people died during that. They don't like each other. Sunnis, Shiites. You got Sunnis, Shiites, Muslims, uh, Christians. They don't like each other. They've never liked each other. You don't have to believe the Bible, but you might want to read it to find out. Did they really like each other? Well, if they did, how come there were all these wars and battles in the Old Testament? They don't like each other. So you get rid of the state of Israel. You think they're all going to get together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya? Yeah, hella freeze over for that happens. You know, throw Turkey into the mix. Turkey doesn't like them. They don't like Turkey. Russia doesn't like Turkey. Turkey doesn't like Armenia. It's everywhere. There's not going to be peace in the Middle East. I mean, look at Yemen, like I mentioned earlier. They got their own civil war going on. And it's backed by Iran, and there's a huge contingent of countries supporting the Yemen government to knock out, what is it, Hulith? I believe that's how you pronounce it, is the organization that's trying to take over. There's no peace in the Middle East. If anything, Israel, to a degree, stabilizes it. It's like, man, don't go over there. Don't start any shit with them because they're going to kick our ass. And they can knock us all out of power. So let's think about it. And that's one thing Tehran really hasn't considered. You can push Israel just so far. And then when they retaliate, they retaliate in spades. And they don't stop until the UN says, you can't do that anymore. One of these days, Israel's going to say, yes, we can. And we're going to. Because you guys aren't fighting for your existence. You aren't fighting off potential extermination. We are. And since you have been inept in your negotiations and your sanctions and your treaties... And the UN's nothing more than Neville Chamberlain walking around with a piece of paper saying there's peace in our time. The UN has been an utter failure. It has not maintained peace around the world. It just creates more problems. Yes, it is a place for diplomats to 
voice their opinions and their concerns to everyone. But when it comes to taking action, there's no action. Unless it's a party. And then they're all about that. But. That's where we're at. Well, that's where I'm going to end this today. And I believe I'm going to go to Kaufman tomorrow and go see the wall. See if a friend of mine might want to attend because he's very patriotic. Hell, he actually served in the, he was in the army of the USSR and escaped, came to America and realized how great of a country it is. He's very patriotic. He's seen communism and socialism up front. He was a sergeant in the Soviet Union, but he knew there was a better life, and it's here. In a capitalist, free, liberty-loving country, it's here. It's not in Venezuela. It's not in Russia. It's not in the Ukraine. It's not in the Crimea. It's here in the United States. This whole family wind up here. I mean, this man was born in Beirut. He knows what it's all about. But he is an American. And he is very thankful for what America has done for him and his family. And what he has been able to give back. And he appreciates the sacrifice. Of the American soldier. That we honor this weekend. Male or female. Black or white. Christian, Jew. It doesn't matter. They are fallen soldiers that we honor on this weekend. Yes, enjoy the cookout. Enjoy going to the beach, going to the lake, drowning a worm, whatever you like to do on a three-day weekend. But remember to pause wherever you're at and look across that landscape and thank God and thank the soldier that allows you to enjoy that freedom without any interference, without anyone telling you what you can and cannot do, where you can do it, how you can do it. That is what the American soldier has done for our young country. Life, liberty, and freedom for all are the foundations of our country, the pursuit thereof. That's what we're honoring this weekend. So you think about that. And if with your a group of friends, you put down your beers, you put down your soft drinks, whatever else you're drinking, you hold hands, 
and you take a moment and thank those that are allowing you to enjoy the lifestyle and the livelihood that you are allowed to pursue in this great nation. We're not done. We have our problems, but we aren't done and we aren't giving up. You all enjoy the rest of your weekend. And with luck, I will be back in two weeks and we will have another episode of Dawson's Domain. Have a wonderfully blessed Memorial Day weekend. Signing off. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites LDDJ Enterprises and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.